Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D. from Coffee with Carrie. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, and our podcast will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. I hope you had a chance to listen to the first part of this podcast, History Alive. In it, we talked about how to pick a historical topic or a time period to study as a family for the entire year. In the second part, we're going to flesh out how to study history in a super easy and stress-free way and have a lot of fun doing it. There are some great curriculums and resources out there for studying history, and if you've already found one that you love and works for in your family, then keep using it. But if you find yourself just starting out maybe homeschooling, or you're in a rut because you've been using the same curriculum for years, then try using some of the ideas in today's podcast. One of the best ways to make history come alive is to make connections. And there are six ways you can do this. First, read historical fictions and watch historical documentaries and movies. Two, use timelines. Three, create homemade personalized history notebooks. Four, do some map work. Five, play some historical games. And six, experience history through field trips. The first four are super cheap, sometimes free. The last two, games and field trips, they can be free, they can be cheap, or they can be downright pretty expensive. But that's okay, because you aren't spending a ton of money on expensive boxed history curriculums, so you're going to have a little extra money left over for some really great field trips or some games. So let's start with the first way to make connections and to help history come alive. You're basically going to read and watch your way through history. All you really need is a library card, Amazon Prime or Netflix, and a book and movie wish list. So before school begins, sit down and make a list of the classic books you want to read aloud as a family. Make a list of picture books that you want to share with your little ones, and some chapter books that you want your readers to read independently. Then make a list of movies, documentaries, and even some old TV series that you want to watch as a family. If you have a high schooler, then make a separate list of movies that maybe have a heavier theme or a more mature content that maybe just the two of you can watch together and discuss. There are so many lists out there and so many resources that you can get a little lost and sucked into a big black hole when you start to search. But trust me, your problem won't be finding appropriate books and documentaries, but narrowing them down. Classics are always better. As a good start, use recommendations by other homeschooling moms and by literature gurus like Sarah McKenzie and Carol Joyside. Sometimes just searching Amazon for a children's book on a certain topic like the American Revolution will yield a ton of choices and recommendations as ton of great books pop up in your search. So once you have a list, then when school starts, pick the books that you want to read aloud to your family. I always suggest you read these books in chronological order. So let's say you're focusing on early American history next year because it's an election year. 
then try not to read The Red Badge of Courage, which is about the Civil War, before you read books about George Washington and the American Revolution. By trying to read books in historical order, it will help make the connections and it will help history come alive. Your family will experience history through the eyes of others in the order that they happened historically. So try to read books like Carry On, Mr. Bowditch and The Witch of Blackbird Pond before you read classics like Little Women and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. So read, read, and read some more. You read every day to your family from one super awesome, exciting, moving, and riveting book. Then read a few picture books, either with the whole family or just with your little ones. Give your readers a list of chapter books to read on their own during their independent or quiet time. Your son may not completely enjoy the family read-aloud time as you're reading Little Women, so assign him Little Men to read on his own. Then pick a few movies or documentaries you'd like to watch with the family each month. You can either set aside a specific day to watch each one, or you can save them for those rainy days when everyone's in a bad mood or they're sick or there's a lot of sniffling happening. There's nothing like a blanket, some popcorn, some snuggling, and a good movie to bring everyone back together. So the second thing to do to make connections and to help history come alive is to do timeline activities. The easiest and cheapest way to do this is to create one. Pick any area of the house where you can tape or pin up a consecutive timeline. In our home, we wrapped our timeline in our quote-unquote school office area up on a wall close to the ceiling right underneath the molding. Some families use up a whole wall. Some create a timeline bulletin board. It doesn't have to be fancy, it just has to be functional, and it has to be seen. So, go to the dollar store and buy one of those rolls of cashier tapes. Pick your spot and unroll the tape for as long as it will fit, or you can visually put up with, on your wall or in the space that you designated for the timeline. At the beginning of the tape, mark in big black letters BC and Genesis 1-1. This will be the beginning of your timeline. At the end of your cashier tape or your timeline, put pictures of your children and mark in different colors their birth dates. This will be the end of your timeline. I always used our birthdays at the end of our timeline, so as we filled it in, they could visually see just how long ago most events had taken place. But it also told them that they were an important part of God's story. They were born for such a time as these, and that their lives matter and make a difference. Then right smack in the middle of the timeline, I put a picture of the cross, and in red bold letters, I would write the letters A-D, and the Bible verse John 3.16. I wanted my kids to know that time as we know it changed when God the Son became man, came down to live and walk with us, and through his life, death, and resurrection, History was changed forever. There's a reason time is marked by before Jesus and after Jesus. It also helps your children visually see what events happened before Jesus' first coming and what happened during the church age. Then I mark on the cashier tape or your timeline paper tally marks with dates. So after Genesis 1-1, I mark 3,000. Then I leave some space and I mark 2,000. And then I leave some space and I mark a thousand. 
and then I hit Jesus and my cross. After the picture of the cross, I continue marking major time eras. But once I get to 1000 AD, I start marking off centuries. So I have a marking for 1500 AD, 1600 AD, 1700, 1800, 1900, and 2000 AD. I do this because once we get to U.S. history, I want to make sure we have enough space for all the important events in our nation's history to include in our timeline. Now that your wraparound timeline is up and marked, it's ready for some dates. So as we read our books and we studied different people and events in history, we added them to our timeline. Again, no fancy timeline cards are needed unless you want to go ahead and buy them and use them but we just use index cards from the dollar store. So let's say you just finished reading the book, The Watsons Go to Birmingham by Paul Curtis Page. It's a story set during the time of the civil rights movement during the summer of 1963. So once we finished reading it, one of my kids would draw a picture or a symbol to represent the events we learned about in the book. They would then add a date, which was 1963, and then write a caption. So in this case, it might be marches or protest. And if the child was old enough, he would write a simple sentence on the back of the card to summarize the event. Then we would tape that index card on our wraparound timeline in the 1960s AD section. The marker is to help remember and visualize the important events during that time period. Then later that month, let's say you read the biography of Martin Luther King and you watch the movie Selma. Then... Another child draws a picture, writes the date, 1965, writes the caption, MLK or Selma March, on the index card, and if they're old enough, writes a simple summary sentence about the event on the back of the index card. Then you tape it on your wraparound timeline in the 1960s AD section, but you tape, tape it a little bit after the Civil Rights Movement card you put up. Since the Selma March happened in 1965, and Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. This helps your kids visually see what happened and when it happened, and maybe any possible cause and effects. We filled in and added to our timeline at least once a week with our index cards about what we were learning in our history studies and after we read. By the end of the year, one section of our timeline would be overflowing with index cards and markings of all the things, events, and people we learned about that year. Now keep it up. Don't take it down. The next year, when you study a different time period or a different historical topic, you continue to add to your family's timeline. By the end of two and three years of homeschooling, your timeline will represent all that you and your children have learned so far. It's also a visual reminder to you in those really bad days when you feel like nothing is getting accomplished or that you're a complete and total failure. You can look at that timeline. It will remind you that you're not a failure and that your kids are actually learning a ton. Just look at the wall. It's proof. Now, a third way to make history more personal and to come alive is to create history notebooks. Some of my homeschooling critics usually ask, how can I actually teach history without using a textbook? Well, I tell them we create our own history textbook. There's so much to learn and remember when learning about different events and people that the timeline index card is only a marker. It only records the date, a caption, and maybe a summary sentence. It's your history notebook 
which is where your students can record more details and specifics about each event or person. Now, I always gave each kid their own composition notebook for history, and it's nothing fancy. Each event or person we learned about gets a two-page spread. On the left side or on the left page, the student draws the event or the person. When the kids were much younger, sometimes I printed a coloring page from the internet and they colored it, and then I'd cut it out and paste it in their notebook. Under the drawing or the coloring sheet, they would write a caption and the date. On the second page or the right-hand side, they would write about the event or the person. So if your student is older, they can write a paragraph or two, title and everything. If they're in middle school or a little younger than that, one paragraph is fine, or they can dictate it to you and you type it up and put it in their notebook. Younger students can write one or two sentences about the event, or you can give them a sentence or two to copy. History notebooks are a great place to use and practice copy work with your little ones. So let's go back to Martin Luther King and say you're learning about the civil rights protest and the marches from the summer of 1963 to when Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. So on the left page or the left side, your student would draw a picture of Martin Luther King or draw maybe the famous photo of him peacefully marching arm in arm with others. And then underneath the drawing is the caption, Selma, 1965. On the right-hand side, your middle schooler would write a summary paragraph about that particular march, what happened, where it happened, what and why it happened, and what were the results. He can include key people like Martin Luther King in the paragraph. And that's it. The timeline records when it happened with a visual reminder of the event, and your history notebook gives you details and facts about the event. Sometimes I even encourage the kids to write at the end of their summary paragraph their feelings about the event or what they learned from it. I mean, why study history if we're not going to learn from it and then do something about it? Then the fourth thing you can do to make connections and make history come alive is to include map work in your history studies. The easiest thing to do is, whatever they're studying, find the location on the map. It helps the little ones see just how close or far away these events happen, and older students begin to see that in some areas of the world, things haven't changed much. You can talk about the Empire of Babylon all you want, but until your student sees and realizes that Babylon is modern-day Iraq, which is right smack in the middle of the Middle East, he won't begin to make those important biblical, social, and political connections. That's really all you need to do for map work, too. Locate it on the map, maybe put a marker on the map, and you're done with it. We did a little bit more than that, but you don't have to. We also colored maps, we drew maps by hand, and we tried to memorize continents, countries, and places around the world. And I think this really helped because during my daughter's freshman year of college, she was so surprised at how many of her classmates had no idea where different places were located around the world. As the professor would talk about Sudan or Tasmania or British Columbia, she said she was often usually one of the only students in the class who had any idea where these places were located in the world. So how can we and our children analyze the news and current events around the world if we don't even know where they are? So by adding map work, even if it's super simple, like just locating it on the map or a globe or using Google Earth, it will help make very important connections for your child. 
then the final two things to do to make history come alive are to play games and experience places firsthand. Okay, I'll be honest, some of the best board games out there with a historical theme can be quite pricey. They're beautiful, they're historically accurate, they're rare, and they're super fun to play. But they're also worth purchasing. But I had a strategy. See, the money I budgeted and saved by not buying an expensive all-in-one box curriculum or pricey textbooks and teacher manuals, I used that money to purchase one or two new games a year. And if I had money left over, we used it on field trips. So let's talk games first. Surprisingly, there is a game out there for just about every historical topic. Let's say you're learning about American history this year since it's an election year. You can play games like Constitution Quest, Hail to the Chief, Professor Noggin's History of the World, Monopoly USA Edition, The Donner Party or The Oregon Trail, Ticket to Ride, Made for Trade, The Colonist Card Game, Risk, American History Memory Game, and that's just to name a few. Play a game during your morning basket time, or during or after lunch, or with your co-op friends, or maybe have a game night with the entire family. Most of the historical games out there are simulations or strategy games that use the events and circumstances of different time periods or historical events as the backdrop. So as you try to win the game, you're also learning about history in the process. So you see, you don't need to buy all new games. You can just use the ones you have or the ones you buy from a garage sale. For more history games, check out EIE Bookstore and their games curriculum, which was developed by Martin and Carolyn Forte, and check out the website Homeschool Game School. Now, let's end with talking about field trips. This one's a no-brainer. We all know how fun, hands-on, and exciting field trips can be. So I don't think I need to convince anyone out there of the advantages of incorporating field trips into their homeschooling. The hardest part about doing field trips is the follow-through. Sometimes our schedules get so out of whack, we convince ourselves we don't have time for field trips. Sometimes our budgets won't allow more than one or two field trips a year. Sometimes we let distance deter us from visiting a really great place. Or like right now during COVID, some places just aren't open or available. But let me just encourage you to never let distance or scheduling keep you from doing family field trips. For the most part, Almost every field trip we've ever been on was worth it. As much as possible, try not to let money interfere with your field trip wish list either. Start with the local places in in your area and see if they have a free day once a month. If so, jump on it. It's always more fun to do field trips with friends, so gather a group of you together and reserve a tour so that you can take advantage of the group pricing instead. If you have a large family, consider having dates with your children. So instead of taking the entire family to a very expensive museum or place, just take one of them. Just make sure you spread the wealth around. So like for instance, if you're studying World War II, then take only your eldest to the Holocaust Museum. She'll be old enough for the material and the heart-to-heart conversations you'll have after she experiences it. If you're studying medieval times, take your son to your city's annual Renaissance Fair. Maybe grandma wants to give you a Christmas gift that keeps on giving. When she asks, what can she give the kids or give you for Christmas this year? Ask her for a family membership to the Natural History Museum or tickets to go see Ragtime the Musical or Hamilton when it comes in town next summer. I'm sure grandma will want to come too. 
So if you think out of the box, there are tons of ways you can make time to do some really cool field trips on a budget. So that's it. You can make connections and make history come alive by digging deep into one historical time period or era as a family. And then just read some historical fictions and watch historical documentaries, use some timelines, create homemade personalized history notebooks, do a little map work, play a few historical games, and experience history through field trips. May God richly bless your historical adventures this coming school year for His glory. I pray it will be fun, adventuresome, informative, and alive. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining us for this little coffee break. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips in our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant. Don't forget to check out our website for links to resources mentioned in this podcast. And check out our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant, for video examples of our timeline and history notebooks. You can find them in our Instagram stories. If you heard something you like, then share our podcast or our Instagram and website with a friend who might need a little encouragement, or share it with a friend who might be thinking of homeschooling. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless, and see you next time.